Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to pray for yourself, to cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. First Peter chapter five, verse seven. It's a good thing to pray about our own cares, about our own troubles. But it's something else entirely to pray for other people. To pray for the people that we care about, the people that we want to invest in, that we want to see flourish and thrive. To pray for people like that. That's not always an easy thing to do. And especially when you see the people that you care about hurting, especially when you see people suffer, it's often hard, it's often difficult to know exactly how to pray for people like that. Have you found that to be the case? It's hard to know exactly what to say and what to ask God for when people around you that you care about and that you love are hurting. How do you pray for other people? I do believe this, the very best thing you could ever do for someone who is suffering is to pray for them. The very best thing you could ever do for somebody that is hurting is to go to your heavenly father on their behalf. There's a word for that, it's called intercession, to intercede for someone else. Intercessory prayer means that it's not just about my cares and my worries and my troubles that I'm praying, it's about other people's cares and worries and troubles. And so to pray intercessory prayers is a very, very important discipline and it's a very important part of being a New Testament Christian. When was the last time you prayed an intercessory prayer for someone else? All week long, if you remember the church here at Katy, you get news flashes from the office about people that are suffering or going through difficulties. Maybe they've, maybe they've been diagnosed with an illness or maybe they've lost a loved one. Every week in our bulletin, we have a list of people who are concerned about health troubles and about spiritual concerns. And we make a list of those for your help. But all of that is with the idea that someone's gonna intercede. Someone's going to say, Father, please help this person. And again, I ask the question, when you look at that list in the bulletin, or when you see your friends on Facebook posting about the troubles in their lives, it's really easy to just type back very quickly, I'm praying for you, praying for you. It's easy to send that in a text message, but it's another thing entirely to actually pray for that person. And again, what do you ask God for when you're praying for somebody who's hurting? Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you haven't already done that, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I want us to notice verses 11 and 12, especially this morning in our study. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 11 and 12. It's one thing to cast your cares upon him, he cares for you. It's another thing altogether to pray for someone else's cares. And God expects and he desires for us to do both of those things. How do you pray for others? I want you to notice as you're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 that this is a circumstance where people that Paul cares about are hurting. They are suffering. Look at verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4. 
We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. These people were being persecuted and they were enduring what Paul calls tribulations. They were suffering. Look at verse five. He mentions suffering for the kingdom of God. Persecution, tribulation, suffering. And in verse six, if you got the New King James, he uses the word troubles, those who trouble you. These people in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, Paul cared about them and they were suffering and they were hurting and they were being persecuted. But I want you to notice in verses 11 and 12 that Paul prays for them. And there are some important and very vital insights to learn about how to pray for other people from passages like this. Let's notice together three points in our lesson this morning. Number one, let's notice that prayer is what we're gonna call an invaluable discipline. It is the very best thing you could do for someone else. Even better than bringing actual physical medicine is to petition your heavenly father on behalf of someone else that you care about. Prayer is an invaluable discipline. Let's ask the question for just a moment, what is prayer? Maybe that's a good place to start. What is prayer? It is, brothers and sisters and friends, deliberate contact with God. And we can make that contact with God in word. We can make that contact with God in our thoughts. Either way, and hopefully both of those things are joined together when we're speaking to God. We are coming boldly before the throne of his grace, Hebrews 4, verse 16, to find mercy and grace to help in time of need, deliberately, intentionally. Prayer is never accidental. What is prayer? It is participation with God in matters of destiny. We believe that by praying for others, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We believe that God hears prayers and God answers prayers and we are participating with him in the destinies of others. Things in our loved one's lives will be different when we pray for them than what they would have been otherwise. Acts 4.29, the Christians got together and they prayed because they were being persecuted and they prayed for boldness that they might continue to speak God's word even though they were suffering and being persecuted. We're participating with God in matters of destiny when we pray. Third, it is a declaration of our faith in God. We do not suffer alone. We do not suffer individually. We are saying, God, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Prayer is a declaration of our faith in an almighty and an all-powerful God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. And in Philippians 4 verse 6, the Bible tells us to bring everything to him. Prayers and supplications with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. It says something about our faith when we pray. Prayer is an expression of dependence on God. It's saying that we need him. Give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, verse 11. And ultimately, prayer leads to transformed lives. When people pray, brothers and sisters and friends, when we come before our heavenly father, lives are changed to the glory of God. Things are different, but most importantly, we are different because we've come to God and we've offered him sincere and heartfelt prayers according to his will. 
all of those things encompass what it means to pray. And when we think about praying for others, we're asking God to come and intervene on their behalf, to intercede for others is a vital spiritual discipline. That's what prayer is in a nutshell. Why is it so important? As you think about what's being done in 2 Thessalonians chapter one, why is it so important? One of the reasons why is because it refocuses our perspective. Prayer helps us to come back to what's really important, what's really vital, what's really meaningful. I want you to notice again, as we think about this passage, we're gonna look at it in some detail in our next point, but I want you to think about this. When people that Paul cared about were suffering, he prayed for them in verses 11 and 12. And there was a recentering of what was really important in their lives. There was a recentering of what we're, what we're really here for. Jesus did this in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Early in his ministry, Jesus was popular. He was busy. And he got up early in the morning and he prayed. And all of a sudden, he had a new focus. He had a sense of purpose once again. Because later on in Mark chapter 1, he says, it's time for us to leave here where I'm busy and where I'm popular and to go to the other villages because for this purpose I have come forth. Sometimes we kind of forget our purpose in this world. Prayer can refocus that. It quiets our fears and calms our nerves. Philippians 4, 7 speaks of the peace that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And did you know that the peace that passes understanding, which is supposed to be down in your heart, that peace comes from prayer, Philippians 4, verse 6. It's a consequence of a healthy prayer life. Prayer transfers burdens. The burdens that we bear, the, the weight and the loads that we carry can be transferred elsewhere. They can be given to God. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. And it upholds others who are in need. There are a lot of people in your life that are gonna suffer and you can't do one single thing to help them except to pray for them. But isn't it wonderful to know that even though we can't do one single thing other than prayer to help them, that prayer is the very best thing that you can do for them. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, when Peter was found in prison, the Bible says that prayers for him were continually made to God by the church. The church gathered together and they prayed and prayed and prayed for Peter because they loved him. It's an invaluable discipline, brothers and sisters and friends. Now, as you're looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's give some attention to this particular passage. Prayer is an essential involvement. It is something that is necessary. It is something that is essential for every single one of us. And not only should we pray for ourselves, we should pray for others. We should intercede on behalf of others. God expects this. In 2 Thessalonians 1, we talked about how these people were being persecuted, about how they were suffering. And in verse 11, here is the prayer. I'll put it on the screen for you if you like. To this end... Because you're suffering and you're troubled and you're going through tribulations, church. To this end, we, Paul, always pray for you. What are you praying for the church, Paul? Watch this. We're praying that God may make you worthy of his calling and that he may fulfill every resolve for good and 
that he may fulfill every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you praying, Paul? I'm praying these things for you. Let's look at those in turn. As you look at this particular prayer, there are three specific petitions that are being made. And it's fascinating to think about how the Bible records that Paul prayed for people that he cared about that were suffering. As you look at this passage, the first thing he prayed for in verse 11 is that God would count them worthy of his calling. That's interesting. Paul looked at these brethren and he cared about them and he loved them and the thing that he prayed for was not that God would take away their suffering. I'm really fascinated by that. Because when you and I hear of Christians who are being persecuted elsewhere, or maybe we hear of Christians even among our own number who are being persecuted for their faith, we tend to say, Father, please relieve them of this persecution. The Bible tells us we're supposed to pray so that we can have a quiet and peaceable life living in a godly way. First Timothy chapter two, verses one through five. It tells us we ought to pray for our governors and our kings and our rulers because when they rule well and when they rule with justice, we can live in a way where we're not persecuted. It's fine to pray that, but it's also interesting that Paul doesn't ask for that specifically here. Rather than saying, God, take away their suffering, Paul says, God, make them worthy of your calling. That's a different way to pray, isn't it? You know what? Sometimes we get in our minds that the very worst thing that could happen to us is that we suffer. We get in our minds that the very worst thing that could happen to somebody else is that they suffer, maybe suffer grievously. The very worst thing that could happen to them. You know what? That is not what the Bible teaches. I am not meaning to minimize suffering. I am not meaning to minimize what you are going through. But I'll tell you something. The worst thing that could happen to an individual is that they could suffer and lose their faith or worse yet, that they could suffer and they could die without Jesus Christ. That's the worst thing that could happen to someone. And that ought to shape the way we pray. It ought to shape the way we petition God on behalf of others. God, this person is suffering. They have faith in you. Count them worthy of your calling through this. That's the way Paul prayed that we may be counted worthy to suffer, Philippians 1, verse 29. Secondly, Paul asks that God may fulfill every desire or resolve for good. You see that? Here's what he's thinking. These people are hurting. They're being, uh, they're being persecuted and, and they're going through tribulation and trouble. They're hurting. And here's what he's asking God for. He says, God, I know my brethren there. I know those Thessalonians. I know they love you. And they're going to be thinking about what good can we do? We may not be able to, to help some of the things that are happening to us, but what good can we do? What kinds of things can we do to serve Jesus and to follow him and to show that we're his disciples? What kinds of things can we do for his sake? And Paul says, God, you help them, please. In the things that they intend to do that are good, God, help them to see that through. Does that make sense? 
God, they're gonna think about some good things and they're gonna be tempted to do some evil things. God, the good things that they're thinking about, help them to see those things through to the end. Fulfill their desire for good. They wanna serve you. They wanna please you. God, strengthen them in that resolve. That's how Paul prayed. Third, that the work of faith with power may be completed. When Paul looks at the suffering of his brethren, here's what he sees. Yes, he wanted that suffering to be alleviated. Yes, he wanted them to be freed from that. But even more, he saw that in this particular circumstance, that what those brethren were going through was going to have a harvest one day that the suffering and the righteousness and the faith that they endured and that, that, that they had showed in the midst of this, this difficult time, that that faith would bear fruit. And who can say what kind of fruit would come from all this? Who can say what kinds of good things? Maybe someone who watches how these Christians suffer and is an unbeliever is brought to faith because those people must really believe what they are teaching. Look at how they suffer and yet they still serve their God that the work of faith with power may be completed. One of the things about persecution, by the way, specifically, is that persecution, when it is endured with faith, persecution has a evangelistic aspect to it. People are drawn to God when they see someone else standing firm for truth and for God and for Jesus Christ people are strengthened in their resolve. And Paul says, what you're doing in faith, the work that you're doing, I pray that it's gonna bring a great harvest one day. So again, I ask the question, how do you pray for people who are suffering? Maybe you don't know anyone who's being persecuted currently, but I'll tell you this, you do know somebody who's suffering and the things that are being prayed about here, they apply equally to things like the loss of a loved one or they apply to someone who is struggling with an illness. How do we pray? It's not wrong to ask for relief. It's not wrong to ask for comfort. The Bible teaches us to do that. But there's more than just that in the way that we pray. We want relief. And oftentimes what God wants instead is he wants a deeper character in us. We want out. When we're suffering, I want, I want to find the exit door. God wants to see us through. We want to be able to say this is over and God wants to say that the testing did its full work. This must shape the way we pray, not only for ourselves, but especially the way we pray for others. Second Thessalonians 1 verse 12 concludes with this phrase, this expression, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. When we pray for people, is the glory and the name of Jesus Christ part of our thinking. Prayer is an essential involvement, prayer for others. Let me give you some practical suggestions. If you're looking at your Bible in 2 Thessalonians, practical suggestions, I'll give you four of these as we think about praying, interceding for others. Number one, when you pray for others, it is good to be specific. It's really good to be specific. Let me just give you an example. If you're looking at 2 Thessalonians, look at chapter 2, verse 2. 
Paul doesn't want his brethren to be shaken in mind or troubled by spirit or word or letter. God, I'm praying for my brethren, he says, that they'll be firm, that they won't, that their hearts won't give in when it comes to the difficulties they're facing. Look at verse 15 of chapter two. What does Paul pray for in verse 15? He asks God to help them to stand fast and hold the traditions which they were taught. Help them to hold on to what they know to be right and to be true and not give up on what's right and what's true and what's biblical. In verse 17, he prays for God's comfort and strength, especially in their hearts, that their hearts may be comforted and strengthened. I'm reminded I was reading in Isaiah recently, in Isaiah chapter seven, verse two, the Bible says that when people heard a threat from another king, an army's gonna come and take over, the Bible says their hearts, the hearts of all the people became like the trees that are blown by the wind. God, don't let their hearts be like that. Chapter three, verse one, what is Paul praying specifically for these brethren? That they may find ways for the word of God to make its course into others' lives that the word of God may run swiftly. In chapter three, verses two and three, he prays that they would be delivered from wickedness and temptation. In chapter three, verse 16, he prays that peace may dwell in them. What's he doing? He's thinking about his brethren, he's giving them inspired counsel, and he is offering these things before God in prayer. There are specific things that these people that I care about need and God can supply those things. Be specific. Secondly, as we think about interceding for others, don't just be specific, but you make sure you consider the kingdom of God in all this. When someone gets sick, and again, I am not minimizing sickness, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying this morning, but when someone gets sick, those of us who belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ ought to start asking not just solution questions, but kingdom questions. Kingdom questions. In what way might the kingdom of God be advanced in this circumstance? How can Jesus and his way be seen more clearly in this difficulty, in this trial? Acts 14, with much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of heaven. John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you will have much tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, We need to consider the kingdom and what's best for the kingdom when we suffer and when others around us do. We need to reflect on the development of faith. You know, sometimes, I know me, and I know a bunch of you, most of us are never gonna grow up very much until we suffer. It's just true. Most of us are not really gonna grow very much in our faith until and unless we go through difficult circumstances. It's the way we are. And one of the things we ought to be doing as we suffer and as others around us suffer is to ask God, God, help this person to grow in their faith through this difficult circumstance. And not only that, help me to grow in my faith. 
Second Peter chapter three, verse 18 commands us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not walk alone through the suffering of life. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, five and six. That ought to be part of our prayers and our thinking. Practical suggestion number four, do not forget the ultimate goal. We are here for one purpose and one alone, to know God and to glorify him. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And as we pray for others, what is on our minds ought to be, God, I pray that in this circumstance and in every circumstance, that the person who's suffering, the group who's suffering, that they bring glory to you. It's wonderful to ask God to help people who are struggling to be free from their struggles, to help people who are hurting to be free from their hurts, to help people who are going through difficulties to be free from their difficulties. Those are all wonderful things to ask for. They're biblical things to ask for, but more than that, those kinds of things ought to be part of our prayer life as well because that's how Paul prayed for his brethren. And that prayer in 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 11 and 12 It's there for your instruction so that you can pray for other people in a way that brings glory to God. Cast your cares upon him and cast the cares of others upon him as well. Because brothers and sisters and friends, he cares for every single one of us. May we always bring our troubles to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. You've not yet come into a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a way that you can do that this morning. Believing that Jesus is your only hope, that he is the only one who can cleanse you from your sin. Believing those things, confess his name, repent of your sin, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. When someone is baptized, they become a child of God. It is called the new birth, John chapter three, verse five. And if you're ready to become a child of God this morning, there's no better time or place than right here and right now to make that happen. If you wanna ask for prayers, because prayer does work, you can make that known publicly as well. Why don't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.